This is the Bates Bobcast, our weekly podcast that takes a look at the week that was in Bates Athletics. My name is Aaron Morse, and this week we remember the life of former Bates coach and administrator Dana Moholland, who died in late September at the age of 78. Plus, we chat with our Bobcats of the week and introduce you to an exciting new men's tennis doubles team heading into this weekend's Wallach Invitational. All that and more coming up on the Bates Bobcast. The field hockey team went 3-0 last week, including shutout wins over nationally ranked opponents Hamilton and Wesleyan on Saturday and Sunday, respectively. The Bobcats are 7-3 overall, 4-2 in NESCAC play, and ranked 10th in the country by the National Field Hockey Coaches Association. Senior captain defender Molly Griffin has been a big part of the team's success, and on Monday, the NESCAC recognized her as the conference's player of the week, and Molly Griffin is our female Bobcat of the week. Well, Molly, before we start talking about the great weekend for the Bobcats, take us back to when you were growing up. How did you get into field hockey? What made that your sport? Um, Originally, I played ice hockey as a kid, and then my parents were super, like, they wanted me to be really active, so I was always playing sports growing up. And then I got into field hockey because I wanted to be better at ice hockey, but then I ended up liking it better. And why field hockey for you um, over ice hockey in the end? (laughs) Um, I think I just like that it's, like, outside like (laughs) the rink is cold and there's a lot of like gear you have to wear like I just like field hockey a lot better now playing defense have you always been a defender no I was actually a forward as a freshman when I was recruited here and then my in between my sophomore and my junior year I made the switch to defense okay so what was that adjustment like what things you had to do to prepare for the new position Having conversations with my teammates and my coaches, they thought I had some good defensive skills. So Danny asked me one day if she thought maybe I could switch, and I was like, yeah, like I'm ready for anything. And then you're a senior captain this year. So what's that like being one of the captains? Um, it's really great. It's a really great team, like, and it's great to do it alongside Paige and Sarah. It's been really fun. And in terms of, I mean, this past weekend, uh, back-to-back shutouts, Hamilton and Wesley and barely got any shots off, let alone score any goals. So what was working so well for the defense? The people I play defense with are Lauren Salazar, Molly Harmon, and Amanda Zerbeeb, and we just all work really well together. We're all very calm people, and like we're very like supportive of each other, so it's really easy for us to like have conversations off the field about what needs to happen on the field. We all have each other's backs, and we just help each other out, and that was just really working this weekend. And anything you know particular stand out you know about the team's performance? I mean, obviously, two convincing wins. <laughs> yeah, um, we just redid all of our corners, and they've been mm. working like yeah. really well this week. So it was like awesome to see that we could make that shift so fast. Well, I was going to ask you about that penalty <laughs> corner because you're in charge of the insert on the mm-hmm. penalty corner. For those who don't know, that's who passes the ball initially um, there from the in, from the goal line. Uh, how long have you been doing that for the Bobcats? Is this your first year doing it or have you done it before? This is my first year doing it for Bates, but I did it all through high school. And then I just told Danny that I could do it, and I tried it out, and it worked. And it's working pretty well. I mean, <laughs> what's what's the key? What are you reading when you do the answer? Are there, is it a pre-designed play, or are you reacting based on what you think uh, might work at the time? I mean, obviously the defense, ha- they're limited to what they can do. So what are you guys trying to do on your end, I guess? So it's like a preset play, yeah. and then Danny calls out a number for us and we just know it, and um, the initial pass is always, like, planned. Hmm. And then sometimes, like, if a pass isn't on, the person with the ball makes the decision, like, just sees what's open. Is there a certain spot where you're trying to feed the ball, or how does that work? Yeah, so 
the play tells me where the ball needs to go. Okay. And then I just send it to them. Yeah. So your job actually is pretty straightforward. Yeah. <laughs> but you're also possibly, I mean, you scored a couple goals this year already. You're also possibly getting ready for some deflections after you insert it, right? So tell me about mm-hmm. that, sort of. So after I insert it, I have to run to the post and just be ready for a shot. And that was the first goal against Hamilton. Mm-hmm. It was a shot from Anna Dice and then sort of shot from me, and then Molly Harmon finished it. Yeah, that was a crazy play. Yeah. Yeah, you, you kind of lofted over the – you were right there next to the goalie. What's that What's that like? It's so tight quarters there. Oh, it's, it's scary. <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely really stressful, but it was fun. Yeah, certainly. And then, um, I mean, the team has you know, had so much success so far. you got a huge game coming up at Tufts, of course. Mm-hmm. So what's going to be a you know, focus kind of this week to prepare for uh, the Jumbos, who I know you know is always a, a tough matchup, certainly. Mm-hmm. Um, I think just to keep the vibes high, I think we're all really excited for this weekend. It's going to be a challenging game, but I think we're ready for it. And we just got to keep doing what we're doing, I think, because it's working. And you were also named, this was just announced, we were talking on Monday, you were also named the NETSCAC Field Hockey Player of the Week. So what does that, what does that mean to you? You know, someone who's on defense, maybe doesn't necessarily always get the stats on the in the box score to be named Player of the Week like that. I was really shocked, to be <laughs> honest, but it's awesome. Like, that made me so happy. And then uh, just any other thoughts you want to share on the season so far and, and the team as a whole? It's just been great. Like, this is the best season we've ever had. I'm just so happy to work with everyone on my team. The women's golf team hosted the NESCAC Fall Qualifier at Martindale Country Club on Saturday and Sunday, finishing sixth out of eight teams. First-year Tori Adams and senior Alex Voigt-Shelley tied for the team lead with two-day scores of 161. With so many home events the past few days, it might have been easy to overlook the men's golf team traveling to Saratoga Springs, New York for the Skidmore Invitational, especially after day one was rained out. But on Sunday, junior Freddie Curtis turned in the best round a Bates men's golfer has played in recent memory, shooting one under par and tying for ninth place in a field of more than 100 golfers, which makes Freddie Curtis our male Bobcat of the week. Well, Freddie, I mean, what a round for you there at the Skidmore Invitational, under par, um, four birdies, I believe, right? So yeah. take me through the round and what was really clicking for you there on uh, Sunday. Yeah, so it was actually our first time in the area. Our coach got us into the tournament, which was pretty cool because it's a very competitive tournament, which was awesome. They also have a tournament there in the spring. We're trying to get invited back to that one because the course is just phenomenal. So the first day, Saturday, unfortunately, was very rainy, so the the day got rained out. But myself and my dad actually um, walked the course and took some notes, so I got to see all the tricky parts of the course and know where to hit it and know where to not hit it, I guess. Um, because there definitely were a few holes that were tricky. So for my round, um, I was playing the one spot, so I had a little extra time to warm up. Um, so I got to the course, and I had about an hour and a half to warm up. And it went pretty good, and then I teed off the first hole, f- feeling pretty good. I was playing with the NYU one, as mm. well as the Middlebury one, who the NYU one just won the Bowden tournament the week before, so good player. Also, the Middlebury one, the Colin, was a really good player, so I knew that I'd have my hands full, so... Started off the first hole with a birdie, which was awesome. And then next hole, um, not so awesome. I mean, hit a good, good tee shot, but I just had a bad three putt. Mm. But the next hole, birdie, and then after that, I bogeyed it. So got off to a pretty funky start, birdie, bogey, birdie, bogey. And then I kind of steadied out for the next nine holes, lots of pars, one bogey. And then I was standing on the 17th tee box at one over par. and knew that I'd have a pretty good look at two birdies coming up just because the last two holes were definitely gettable holes. And hit a good three-wood off 17-T box. And then my wedge shot, I stuck to about two inches. So I had a tap and birdie. And then on the 18-T box, it was out of balance, all up to the left side. So I knew I had to keep it right and give myself a good approach shot. And then 
I did so, had an eight iron in, put it to about 15 feet, and then I had an uphill left to right putt, and it was going in the entire time. I had to trust that I could start the putt out to the left and let it just fall back into the right. Hung on the lip for like two seconds and then rolled in, thankfully, and I gave a good fist bump for the crowd. Excellent. So 18th hole, that, that was the way, that's the way to finish, right? <laughs> yeah, I know. It was cool because my dad watched the entire thing, which was awesome. And then towards the finish of it, the gallery picked up a little bit. And then on the 18th hole, there was about 25, 30 people watching. So it was awesome, including some of my close friends on the team. Well, I mean, how long have you been playing golf and was that your best round ever? So I've been playing golf pretty much my entire life since I was two or three. And it was my best tournament round, 71, one under par, but my best round ever is 65, seven under. So it's not my best golf round. But that was just like recreationally? That wasn't yeah, like, that was okay. just with my dad. So oh, nice. technically okay. it wasn't like a tournament. But in a tournament, though, that was your best. Excellent. Yeah. Um, so what got you? You said from a very young age. So do you even remember what got you into it? Definitely my dad. Yeah. My dad picked up golf a lot after college. He got really into it. So I guess it just rubbed off on me. And I have a younger brother, and we both just always grew up battling and playing with each other. Great. And so then um, when did you start thinking, I kind of want to you know, I want to play this in college? And what made Bates the place for you? So when I was around 10 or 11, I started playing in tournaments. And quickly, I just fell in love with it. I love going on my comfort zone and just playing challenging courses just with some of the top fields in the state. So as I aged 10, 11, 12, and then in high school, I just my game kept improving. And I knew that I wanted to try to pursue it at a, at a collegiate level. And then in regards to Maine, I had been coming to Old Orchard Beach my entire life. So I kind of knew that I wanted to just go to school somewhere in the main area. So it was down to a few NESCAC schools like Colby, Bowdoin, and Bates. And it just all my interactions with the Bates campus and the Bates people just really attracted me. And then reflecting on my first two years, almost two, two and a half years, the people have been amazing. So I can't like even think of a better choice for me. It's just a perfect fit. Excellent. We have a new director of men's golf this year, Sean Warren, who's really good golfer like one of the best in new england if not the best so what's, what's he like working with him his in, in regards to golf his history is unbelievable he's played in three major championships he's been yeah. the pga championship three times which is unbelievable and then on the side of coaching it just you can tell he knows what he's doing and he's he played at marshall university a division one program so you can tell that he knows how a golf team should be run and the best part about it is he's good at executing what his vision is with actually putting pen and paper and getting things to happen. And then in regards to tournaments itself, he's just so relaxed, so calm, and he always offers stellar advice. So it's really, um, in the terms of someone who's playing in the tournaments and who gets nervous under pressure, um, he's very comforting and he's just a great person to talk to during tournaments, talk through shots, ask for advice. A lot of the time he's standing on the part three, so he's going to give us the exact numbers. And he knows our games pretty well, so he's like, yeah, it's Freddie, hit a smooth six iron or don't miss left or just do this, this, and that. So you can tell he knows how to give good advice, but also he knows how to just calm you down when things are going wrong, definitely. Excellent. And then um, you have the NEIGA coming up. That's in Cape Cod, right? Yeah, that's in Cape Cod. You played that course before, I assume? So funny enough, it's actually two different courses. So we played it last year, and the first day we play one course, and the second day we play the next course. Okay. Yeah. So um, typically how it's run is the woman will play the first course the first day, and then the second day they'll play the course that we played, and we'll kind of swip swap. So it's a pretty cool process, honestly. What, what, what are those courses like? They're typically really tight, and then down by the Cape, most courses, I mean, from the, the water, just lots of wind. Yeah. So very historically very windy um, 
tournaments. Like last year was extremely windy. Hopefully it's not wet like it was this weekend. Um, but yeah, it's honestly pretty gettable if the wind is cool and there's no rain. Although it sounds like wet conditions are good based on your <laughs> result, right? <laughs> yeah. So we were actually playing like live clean in place the second day mm-hmm. um, just because the fairways were so wet and yeah. there was just all the golf balls were so prone to mud balls. Yeah. So we, if you were in the fairway, you could live clean and place your ball, which is kind of cool. That's helpful. Yeah. <laughs> and then um, we talked about this off air briefly, but you're also a member of the Bates track and field program. So how do you decide to join that team uh, last year, I believe, right? Yeah. So I did track my freshman in senior year of high school, mm-hmm. but never took it that serious. But then towards the end of my senior year, I kind of fell in love with the sport. And I loved running. And I knew that I wanted to try to pursue it at Bates, but I wasn't sure if golf in school would be too much. So my first year my, my um, first year at Bates, I kind of tested it out, and I discovered that I could, I could manage golf in school. So I decided to try track too. So I emailed Danny Feldman, mm-hmm. um, Coach Feldman, the head distance coach in the Bates track team, and he gave me a workout plan to do and some certain times I need to hit. And he said that if I do it, I'll be on the team. So I did that, and it's been, it's been awesome. He's made the process. Him as well as Coach Curtis Johnson have made the process of walking on just so smooth. All the guys and all the women on the team are just awesome and made the process of walking on so easy. Everyone's so friendly. So I'm very glad that I decided to do that. And what events are you focusing on indoor season coming up here? Yeah, so I'm going to be focusing on the mile as well as the 5K. Okay, nice. And what makes like, distance running your preferred maybe uh, events, if you will, as opposed to like sprinting or other or other events, perhaps? Honestly, I don't know. I mean, okay. I'm still really new to the sport, so yeah, 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 yeah. one of the things I want to do this indoors try to like diversify my portfolio, I guess, mm-hmm. and try a wide um, range of events and see what works best with me. Great, and we talked about this also, but golf is a split season. So for the men's team, you have one more tournament, and then you're off essentially you're doing track but then you come back in the spring we had the NESCAC championships in the spring for the men's golf team so how are you going to stay sharp with your golf game while you're also doing track that's going to be interesting right yeah no that's a great question so one of the it's actually a huge topic because we actually got a brand new golf simulator installed last winter we had a net to hit into in a low quality monitor but the parents and the kids did fundraisers and raised a lot of money, and we got a state-of-the-art TrackMan simulator installed. Okay. Um, so it's a huge upgrade, and it's a huge, in regards to recruitment for Bates, it's a huge selling point because, to be honest, not all of the NESCACs have that facility for the winter. And in Maine, you said it yourself, the snow for yeah. half the year. So it's indoor practice during the winter is a huge part of why you want to come to Bates. So we're so fortunate enough to have – that installed last winter, and I think it's going to be huge for the program. So, yeah, all the team is just – I mean, we, we love the season, but we're excited for the offseason too because we can grind in the trackman simulator. It's just a very friendly space with you, – you go, you come in as always one of the kids on the team you can talk to and practice with. So it's – yeah, I'm excited for the winter to, to just start training in there. Those simulators, is that one of the ones where you can play, like, different courses? Yeah, exactly. So you can do a bunch of different games. You can go to the virtual driving range, and then pretty much all of the top courses in the world are on there. So – you can play so many different courses. It's amazing. What's your favorite course? On the sim, definitely Pebble Beach. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, over in California. What's your favorite course you've played in real life? Also Pebble Beach. Oh, you've played Pebble Beach before? Yeah. yeah. Oh, nice. What was that experience like? It, it was amazing. Yeah. Um, just, it's so hyped up, but then you go and play it and it, it's like, yeah, the hype's real. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Um, well, I guess, you know, thoughts you want to share about Sunday's big round there at the Skidmore Invitation we haven't got to talk about yet? Yeah. So... The season's been going pretty good for me so far. Um, One of the big things that um, I've been trying to focus on is is improving my mental focus on the course. 
So, for example, not letting my, like, like one bad hole get to me. And w- one of the things that's been helping me a lot is I was actually talking to my old golf captain, my freshman year, Jack Howard. He's my golf yep. captain. Yep. And he gave me this analogy that's really stuck with me. He said that if you're taking a test and say there's 20 multiple choice questions and you get two wrong, well, that's a 90%. That's pretty good. But if you get two wrong and those are the first two questions and that those first two questions get to you mentally and that messes up the rest of your test, that's going to stink because you're going to get a bad score. But if you get them bad and don't let them affect you, you can go on to have a great score. So that really made me think about um, staying mentally strong and not letting one bad hole in the beginning of my round get to me. So I've really been just trying to focus on um, going through my same routine, um, doing everything I can do to just stay mentally focused and not let, in a way, one bad multiple choice question ruin my entire round. Excellent. It worked, obviously, minus one there, top 10 finish out of over 100 people, right, I think. Who were yeah, there was so. 116 players. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, Freddie, thanks so much for joining us on the Bobcast. Congrats again on the great performance at Skidmore. Yeah, thank you. The women's soccer team welcomed undefeated and number 17 nationally ranked Hamilton to town on Saturday, and the Bobcats stunned the Continentals with a 2-0 win. A huge victory in front of a big back-to-Bates homecoming crowd. Junior Anna Masumoto delivered the eventual game-winning goal in the 22nd minute, the first goal of her collegiate career. Masumoto joins the Bobcast this week to give us an update on the women's soccer team's progress with four matches remaining in the regular season. Well, Anna, your first collegiate goal there against Hamilton and a big win for the Bobcats. Take us through how it came to be and what was your reaction to getting that ball in the back of the net? Oh, my gosh, yeah. So if I'm remembering correctly, I was uh, defending one-on-one on the sidelines um, with my teammate Kylie Musante, who we double-teamed and won the ball um, right in front of our bench, which was so fun. Whenever um, we're on the field and we get to play right in front of the bench, it's always the best time because our teammates are so loud on the sidelines. But um, won the ball, uh, played it up to Lily Hauser, who crossed it in. Um, ball bounced out, and there was no one around me, so I just took a shot and it hit the hit bottom left corner. So, yeah, it was just once that ball, I saw that ball hit the back of the net, I was beyond happy, like – I was talking to um, one of my former teammates, Elizabeth Patrick, who came for the Back to Bates weekend, and she was just congratulating me on the goal, and she was just, we were just reminiscing about how if we could bottle up that feeling and sell it, it would just, it would be viral. It was just the best feeling ever, so, yeah. And for you, probably extra special, because it's been kind of a long time coming. I know you missed your first year because of injury and whatnot, so tell me a little about your journey to where you are now, I guess. Yeah, totally. I'm just always having a good time out there um you know I feel like being injured and then coming back to play is always that redemption arc but also that perspective of um just enjoying the game and being present in where you are um so yeah I've it's been a long time coming these last couple of years been putting in a lot of work um and the whole team too throughout the season we've had you know, a string of unfortunate one zero losses and we've been having that drought of um NESCAC scoring opportunities. So once I had that opportunity I knew I, I had to do it. So yeah, super rewarding. And then Hamilton came into that match undefeated, nationally ranked. So what did it mean to the team to you know to get that victory and a two 0 victory at that? Oh my gosh, yeah. Coming into it we knew it was gonna be a battle. Um in seasons in past and games past playing Hamilton, it's always been a fight and we've always been right there with them last year. We almost beat them. Um that was a crazy game. But yeah, we knew what we were we were expecting a fight and um we knew we could pull out the win. So we just 
right from the kickoff, we started with a lot of momentum. So it was really good to just get that first goal in. Um, A lot of the NESCAC wins come from those first goals. So getting that one was just crucial in the win. You touched on back to Bates. A lot of, I'm sure, family members and alums were in attendance. So that added the atmosphere a little bit. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I've never seen a crowd on Russell like that Saturday. That was just so special to be there. Um, both my parents came from Seattle, so that was also really special. It was my mom's birthday, oh. so got that bo- birthday goal for her. Um, yeah, and then just some former teammates, parents. Um, it, yeah, it was a good crowd. Being from Seattle, mm-hmm. uh, what made Bates a place for you coming all the way across the country? Obviously, I was looking for that small school experience. Bates was the perfect place, but um, when I visited, I feel like this is a common sentiment among people who visit but it just felt like home the whole team was just so accepting and welcoming our team culture and just like the way we have fun is unmatched so yeah playing soccer growing up when did you start to like really get serious about it and be like oh I could you know play in college yeah soccer has always been my main sport I was actually just talking about this with some of my teammates and how they played lacrosse or you know field hockey or other sports growing up but it was mostly just soccer for me so playing from a young age I've always known that I wanted to keep going and just do whatever I can to keep playing the game that I love Um, so especially coming back from injury it was just been so fun to just like be on the field with the teammates and just people that I love great and then going forward kind of what are some you know things the team is focused on, you know, to finish off this season strong here. Yeah, definitely. Um, this season we've been pretty strong on defense, but obviously scoring has been a huge focus for us these last couple of weeks um, as we're finishing out our season. So just focusing on finishing the opportunities that we can, um, creating more opportunities, and, um, yeah, just trying to stay strong on defense as well. These last couple of games are super crucial for um, our next steps. And you're midfield, right? Yes. So you're all over the place, right? Yeah. Offense and defense. Yeah. What's that like? <laughs> um, yeah, so we've been switching up our formation a little bit, but um, I'm mostly central mid, uh, side central mid. It's sort of a hybrid position, but, yeah, all over the field. Um, so I'm able to, you know, get up there in the final third in the 18, take those shots, but also have to come back on defense and help my team out there. So, yeah, it's it's fun. Great. Well, any other thoughts you wanted to share on the, the win over Hamilton or, or the season so far we haven't got to talk about? Yeah, obviously that win over Hamilton was just huge for us. I can't emphasize how happy everyone was. Um Especially one of my good teammates, Ellie Tiska, her sister is on Hamilton. Um, so that was a big rivalry, com- rivalry coming in. She was, you know, talking smack. And so <laughs> that just added extra motivation yeah. for us. So that was a huge win for us. Um, yeah, just looking forward to the next couple of games and finishing out the season. All right, Anna, thanks so much for joining the Bobcast. Yeah, thank you. The football team welcomed Amherst to Garcelon Field on Saturday, and it proved to be a defensive struggle with the Mammoths. The visitors scored twice in the third quarter to defeat Bates 17-7, despite a strong effort on defense from the Bobcats. Head coach Matt Coyne recaps the Amherst game and looks forward to this week's rivalry matchup in Brunswick against Bowdoin. Well, Coach, fewest points allowed by the defense all season. It was a real battle there, only 3-0 at halftime. What do you see from that unit overall? A couple big plays, but overall pretty solid, I thought. Yeah, I think we're just we're getting better each week, um, as we talked about. Um, some guys are starting to settle in and, and uh, really mature on the field. Um, for that first half, I mean, to have three turnovers offensively and still hold a team to three points, I mean, their average starting field position was inside our territory. I thought that was a real big um, positive from the defensive side of the ball. And overall, in the course of the, of the game, we gave up four explosive plays that you know we charted about 15 yards or more. Um, it's just unfortunate that three of them came on one drive for the touchdown drive. Um, 
but overall, I mean, I think you could see that the guys are getting better. They're getting more comfortable in the system. Um, and, you know, Amherst is, is still a really good team, you know, so you know, I have a lot of respect for them. And I thought our kids played extremely hard again, though, so that was a positive. Presley Green made it some pass breakups. Uh, Michael Spencer had some uh, pass breakups as well, some, a lot of tackles. What do you see from those two guys in particular in the secondary? Yeah, I think them and the, those two guys have, have gained confidence. I think as you start, you know, as you, sort, you see from the Wesleyan week all the way to now, um, you know, I think our pass breakups have increased. We're becoming stickier to the receivers. We're getting more confidence within the system. Um, and it's across the board at the defensive back. Uh, you know, all four of them um, are doing a really good job of just – getting better each day, each week. And, and that's really the focus right now, just to continue to get better. Offensively, you did mention the turnovers. Uh, what has to be done to kind of clean that up? It looked like Colton might have been trying to force a couple of those throws. Yeah, I think so. And I think, you know, if you look at it, you know, the biggest thing for us is, is starting fast. And we talked about it all week, and it was a little disappointing because the plays were there, um, and we just didn't make them. You know, if you watch the first you know, seven or eight plays, you can see that we have some guys that are open, um, some things that – you know, Coach Thompson schemed up really well, and we just didn't capitalize and make the plays. Um, I think sometimes, you you know, as we talk about, you know, throwing the ball away isn't the worst thing sometimes. Um, and, and for us, I think, um, while the turnovers in overall hurt us, um, you, you never know what's going to happen on that next play, you know, post-turnover. So it's it's one of those things that offensively got to clean some of that up. But, again, Amherst is – you know, for the past decade and even more, you know, you know, Coach Mills and that staff had a defense that had been in the top two or three always in points allowed per game. So we knew it was going to be tough to get points, um, but we got to be better, you know, offensively to generate s- some offense. It does look like you have a couple guys who can really, I mean, we talked about them before, but Garrett and Beltran, two solid games again from those guys, right? Yeah, they've done really well, and I mean, I think there's some things that you know. Obviously, Steve's going to hate the fumble. Um, you know, and, well, he's not a running back, right? <laughs> yeah, but still, uh, when you yeah. catch the ball and you take it, you're always a running back. Yeah. You know, so it doesn't matter. But for right. that aspect, you got to you know take care of the ball. But yeah. um, for us, I think that you know they do a really good job, and again, they're getting better too. Um, you know, and I think they're starting to take that leadership role in the offense, and we got to continue to find ways to get them the ball and, and, and let them do their thing. The touchdown, maybe not how you drew it up, but Linsky was on the ball there, right? Yeah, I think it's like, you know, if you look back at it from last week uh, with Colby, like we didn't make that play at the end. It bounced off Sergio's hands, and now we sort of got one back. And, um, you know, so it was, it was good just to be heads up there. And, uh, you know, it was a, a little defective pass, and um, we made the play, and we were able to put some points on the board there. Certainly. And now looking at the Bowdoin game coming up, they're having a really good year. They seem to like they're, they're a very experienced team. It's on the road. Bates has had the better of this matchup for a while now, but I'm sure Bowdoin, I mean, this is a classic rivalry, right? Yes. And, you know, like you said, I think, you know, these guys are in a, in a situation where I think for three straight, three or four years, they've been playing together. And now they're um, a really experienced team. And I think, you know, Coach Amber's done a great job of of developing, um, and that's where they're at in, in their program right now. And they've done some really good things. I think offensively, um, I think their quarterback is one of the better quarterbacks in the league. He's he's, he's really just a, a playmaker, and they have some really good receivers and running backs. And you know they've got a really talented team. And defensively, they always put some pressure on you by blitzing and pressuring and playing a ton of man coverage. So um, we definitely have a, have a great challenge um, ahead of us, um, and we're excited about that challenge. Um, you know, but obviously we respect that team and. And understand that each year is its own. So, I mean, all those records and things like that, you know, they really don't matter. The men's tennis team hosts the Wallach Invitational this Saturday and Sunday to wrap up the fall season for the Bobcats. In late September, 
the Bobcats compete at the ITA New England Championships and a new doubles team emerged as a force to be reckoned with, with junior Eli Chris and first-year Alex Park winning a pair of matches and advancing to the round of 16 against some of the best competition in the region. We caught up with them last week for an interview. Eli is a junior, teaming up with a first year. Um, how'd it go? Obviously, a couple big wins. Yes, sir. I mean, Alex coming in as first year, a lot of pressure for him. I wanted, you know, just to make sure he was as comfortable as possible. Um, but, you know, we just trust our practice, trust what we do every day. And that's what, that's exactly what we did when we came out and played. And Alex, what do you see work so well out there? Yeah, I think Eli did a great job of setting a great mindset and example coming in for me, obviously being a freshman, but he kind of helped me feel comfortable on the court, and I think we ended up playing really well together. Eli, had you competed at ITAs before? No, this was actually yeah. my first year. So, I mean, definitely some nerves coming in, but, you know, I worked hard to get where I am now, and, you know, I, we came in and, like, we knew that we could beat anyone on a given day, trust what we do every single day, and, you know, it worked out. Yeah, and the second round win there over a team from Babson. I know they had some really highly rated players, Alex. So how how that match go in particular? Actually, we went in not thinking at all about yeah. how good they were right. or their ranking or anything like that because really it's not important. We just kind of went out there and did what we were supposed to, and good things happened. Now, for both of you, it's your first time on the Bobcast. So I want to know, back when you were in high school, Eli, what made Bates the place for you as you're looking for college? It was definitely academics was a big part of my decision, but. I love being, I'm from New England, I'm from Winchester, Massachusetts, um, at the same time I wanted something a little different, Maine is a beautiful state, and I thought it was just like the perfect balance um, to compete at a high level in the NESCAC, and then also be close to my family. So, and Alex, you're from Dallas though, right? Yes. So what made Bates the place for you? Yeah, so honestly I wasn't really sure about myself throughout the entire recruiting process until I came here, uh, I met the team, they were great, Eli actually hosted me, so... It's funny that it comes back to that, you know. Um, but, yeah, I think the main thing that pulled me was the team spirit and the team connection because I think, like, what we have going on is special here. And um, I knew that I wanted to come in and make an impact immediately. So um, that's what I try to do every day. Great. And then, Eli, um, just growing up, I guess, what made tennis kind of your sport? So I started playing tennis when I was four years old. Um, came from a tennis family, tennis background. Three of my siblings played college tennis. Uh, I always wanted to kind of follow in their footsteps. Uh, I saw them work hard every day. I was actually training with my brother. Uh, I was on the same high school team with them. So, I mean, I feel like in high school, that's when I really started training extra hard because I knew I wanted to play at the college level. It was just like family, and, you know, I loved the game, and it worked out. And now as a junior, it se- I mean, obviously we're a long way from spring, but it seems like you're in a good position to be, you know, at least in the doubles lineup, maybe the singles lineup. So tell me about, you know, battling your way in a lineup contention this year. So, yeah, I mean, we had, we had a great team last year. As we know, um, we had a great season. We lost, I think, four, four starters from last year, four seniors, all great players. Uh, I knew I needed to step up this year. I'd never been in the lineup before. I worked really hard this summer. Uh, made huge strides since my freshman year, and I feel like this year I had a different mindset about things. Like I said earlier, I think the belief is always there, which is something different. I know that I can beat anyone on a given day, and yeah, it's just a completely different mindset that I'm really enjoying. I'm really looking forward to the spring. Excellent. Alex, how did you first get into tennis growing up? Yeah, so I actually grew up in a neighborhood that was uh, a lot of young families, so there were tons of team sports going on, so I really didn't start tennis until a bit later. Um, but my dad did play tennis growing up, and he 
walked on to the Northwestern tennis team. Um, obviously, so I have some ten tennis background. Um, to be honest, it was kind of a, uh, I would play it and then take breaks and I never really committed to it until I was about 12 or 13. And um, from there, I kind of fell in love with it because the I love the grind, I love working really hard, I love improving my game. Because you can always be better, that's something I love about tennis. There's You can always improve on something. And as a first year here, I'm curious, did you get to play a lot of doubles in high school and stuff or is it fairly new for you? I did get to play a lot of doubles and I the academy I trained at back home, uh, heavily emphasized doubles, so um, I have experience playing both, yes. And uh, what's the biggest adjustment, Eli, I guess maybe I'll ask you when you go from singles to doubles? So I'm not, like, before this year I wasn't much of a doubles player at all. Um, it's something I really worked hard on uh, this summer. I think that the there's a different mindset. It's a faster-paced um, game in doubles. It's a lot different in singles. There's not much time to settle into the match, so you have to go. you have to go into the match, like, knowing exactly what you're doing um, and just to have a game plan and trust what we do. Um, we just do the simple things in doubles. It's you don't do anyone as soon as you start doing something special and you try to do something different. That's it's not going to work out for you. You just have to go about the emotions like coach tells us every single day. And how important is chemistry with your doubles partner and how good was it this, this past weekend? I think it's an underrated part of playing doubles. Like everyone thinks about the tennis ball and hitting the ball, but it might be the most important part of it because you need to know exactly what your partner is going to do to be able to predict the next shots. And to be honest, mentally, it's where it's at because um, in order to beat all the best teams in the nation, which all these players we're playing against are good players, it all comes down to the mental aspect of the game. Great. We have the Wall Invitational for the men coming up pretty soon. So what are your thoughts on that, Eli, hosting a bunch of teams here? I think we got to defend the house. And I yeah. think, you know, um, all these guys are coming here. They're going to be ready but I think we're going to be more ready. It's a special event. It's something that's, I think, everyone on this team, it's definitely circled on our calendar. We have to work really hard to get where we want to be because every team is, is going to be grinding, and, you know, I think we have to take it one step at a time and go about it with the same mindset that we did this past weekend. Yeah, Alex, are you excited to have some home matches here? Yeah, so in high school, I actually didn't have any home courts, so we always had away matches, so this is something new for me. And I'm very excited because I um, never had the feeling of having my own team support me at home and have my friends from home watching me because obviously it's harder to travel. So um, I think I'm really looking forward to the environment most of all. All right, Alex Park, Eli Chris, thanks so much. Thank you so yeah. much. Thank you so much. Some sad news to report. In late September, the Bates community lost former head swimming coach and assistant football coach Dana Mulholland as he died at the age of 78. Coach Mulholland joined Bates in 1978 as a part-time assistant football coach, continuing in that role until 1991. In the early 1980s, he was a volunteer coach of the Bates swim program, then a club sport. The program earned varsity status in 1983, and 1988, Dana was appointed the program's head coach, serving in that capacity until 2006. He retired in 2000. 10 as Professor Emeritus of Physical Education, having served as the Acting Director of Athletics in the latter part of his career at Bates. Coach Mole, as he was known, had a huge impact on countless Bates students as well as his colleagues. David Fox, from the class of 1993, is now the head swim coach at Phillips Andover. He and current Bates head swim coach Peter Casares join us to reflect on the life and career of Coach Dana Mulholland. Fox came to Bates from Oklahoma, and Coach Mulholland helped him rediscover his love for swimming. I grew up in Oklahoma uh, in public schools, and uh, essentially I wanted to get as far from Oklahoma as possible when I went to college, and so I uh, started to look at uh, schools in Maine, 
And um, I was in touch with coach um, a bit during my senior year. And, um, but I really, I didn't know much about him until I met him on campus the first day. I don't think we talked on the phone. And it was his first year of coaching was my first year. Uh, uh, I, I was being sort of in the recruiting class in his first year of coaching. And so first time I met him was right on campus. Well, to follow up on that, I mean, he was a football coach at Bay yeah. and um, kind of got into the swimming position. Do you recall, you know, what his transition was like, you know, it being your first year, his it being his first year, did he say anything about like what it was, how it was going and stuff? Uh, yeah, yeah, he was pretty, um, he was pretty modest about it, um, of just taking over the team and trying to figure things out. Um, and, um, you know, it was pretty, it, it, it was fun because uh, it, it was just offered a very different environment than what I was used to. I, I think it was more uh, it, a, a bigger transition for the members of the women's team uh, to have the football coach uh, step in and and, um, you know, Dana uh, or Coach Mall, I still have to call him Coach Mall. I was thinking about this today of uh, just presenting pretty, pretty typical uh, main, if you will, masculinities. Uh, and then and then pretty quickly, though, everybody would recognize, um, you know, his uh, just openness and vulnerability and commitment to, to equity and to change. What's like maybe a couple of stories that kind of embody about who he was during your time there at Bates? My first year was the first year we uh, Bates beat Colby in swimming in the men's side. And that was, uh, came down to the last relay and we actually split the relay. I swam the B relay um, and one by one point, instead of just having everybody on the, on the A relay, that was, uh, that was something. On our way to Wesleyan, uh, my senior year, I was the captain and um, became pretty clear that one of our, the, one of the guys on the team was, was inebriated on the bus. And I went up to coach he's always sat in the front seat uh by himself and i went up there and um i just told him what what i thought and uh he he was remarkable he didn't react angrily he didn't you know pull the bus over he um he had this kind of uh i don't know devastated concern um and then i i went back to my seat and he and he sat there you know by, by himself for about uh you know, a good 10 minutes or so. Um, and so then he went, he had the, he had the kid come forward and um, they talked for a long time and then, and it was very discreet. And then we got to the hotel and a couple hours later, uh, as we were getting settled, you know, he called, he called me in with the assistant coach and diving coach and women's captains and said that, you know, so-and-so wasn't going to swim tomorrow. And, um, and that was it. And he, then he told the team, so-and-so's not swimming tomorrow. And that was it. Uh, and that's all we needed to know. Um, and then the, the real part of the story actually is the next day, we, we were on our way to Wesleyan for, for whatever reasons we hated Wesleyan. Uh, that was like the team we most wanted to be. And um, so during one of guys coming up and asking me to talk to coach again, uh, to see if he let so-and-so swim, uh, because we would have been more successful probably. And, um, and he just immediately said, no, you know, uh, no, no consideration just, uh, and he made it clear that, you know, it wasn't, I mean, yeah, it was about enforcing the rules and everything, but it was really that he felt that was the strongest message he could send to the kid that he knew based on their conversation had, had a serious, had a serious problem. So that kind of in, uh, integrity and, and, um, care 
I think was, was really rare in my, uh, my athletic career with my own coaches. What are some things maybe you learned from coach Mull uh, during your time that you've applied, you know, after graduating from Bates? Uh, well, I'm, I'm actually been an educator for the last yeah. 30 years. I, I coach swimming too. Um, and so, you know, there, there, there's that part of that story of, of his integrity and character. Um, his, uh, his unconditional love for, for everybody. And I think that's captured in that story too. Um, and then his, uh, his openness is, uh, I mean, he would stand on the bus and uh, this is way back when, uh, with Houston did her cover of Dolly Parton and he's singing, I will always love you, uh, on the bus that not, not well, but he's singing it, um, to, uh, I think he also, um, he taught me, uh, I think before I met Coach Mall, that I, I'd always thought, and I don't know how much this will make sense, but I'd thought of pride as something um, pretty like vacuous and jingoistic. Um, and I had been a really successful age group swimmer. And then in high school, I was pretty burned out, actually, and um, ended up at Bates to, you know, swim, di swim division three. And um, I think that for you know variety of ways he just he just imparted that um pride is about you know having confidence in the work that you've done and um and in the inevitable successful result just because you've done the work um pride with working with other people to have some common result um pride in doing all that while maintaining your your values and and priorities um and so that was that was really something um he's coaches uh coaches hilarious um but chick von yako who was the captain my freshman year started making these videos uh like hour-long documentaries of, of the season i mean not not really document but just lots of stuff that probably can't really be i don't want to share um but uh but coach would be a willing participant always um i mean he was a he was the kind of guy that we had Actually, we took some video of him coaching at the other end of the pool, and it was really grainy. It's intentionally really grainy. And one of our guys um, had part of the video was to cut, cut cut from clips of Mussolini speaking to Coach Mulholland as just this incredible, you know, ironic. I mean, just the opposite. But he, I mean, I, he, I, I don't think I've ever seen him laugh so much when that came on. It was just like fifteen seconds of Dana, and then. Mussolini back and forth. Uh, it was, it was unbelievable. Uh, and, and yeah, he just, he just loved it. Um, so, um, I remember his openness around, you know, 50 Russell street going over to his house all the time, opening it up to the team and, and Jane being so welcoming of us all. And really, um, I mean, a clear, clear partner in, uh, in supporting all these, all these folks. So. Great. And then Peter, I want to um, bring you in here. Also, you, you of course, became the head coach after Coach Mole stepped away from that position, but he was the acting AD, if I'm not mistaken, when you first arrived. So tell me about your first interactions with Coach Mole when you got debates. Um, coach Mole was excited when I walked onto campus and, qu and quickly excused himself from the entire hiring process because his daughter was one of the finalists also, as she had been a head coach at UNE for several years. Um, and so I ended up um, I ended up having a lot of conversations with some of our um, 
you know, coaching legends in the, in the Bates um, de athletic department, Marsha Graff, um, Gwen Lexow. Um, and then I worked um, very closely with the Dean of Faculty um, in the hiring process as, as she kind of took over since the AD couldn't be involved in the process. Um, but Dana was happy to see me and excited I was out there. And I really appreciated that knowing that, you know, I'd heard through the grapevine, his daughter was one of the finalists. So that, that immediate sense of calm and, and enthusiasm for me helped me in my process as I went through my interview. Um, when I walked onto campus, I, I did so with um, a great you know, article done by the SIDs with quotes from Dana about how excited he was for me to join the program um, and what he thought I could do. Um, and he just, he just blew me away the first two years. He had a vulnerability as, as David talked about him that showed up in every athletic department meeting. Um, he went from acting AD back to an assistant AD to help out with the transition when Kevin McHugh got here. Um, and the direction of the department under Kevin's tutelage really was um, inspiring. And you could see it in Dana's eyes um, at every department meeting, how much Bates meant to him and how much he loved it. Um, when he would speak, inevitably um, his voice would start to crack and, and waver on the verge of tears because he was so happy and so inspired by what was happening as he was leaving in the direction of the, of the college and the programs um, and the athletic department as a whole. Um, and then he just sung my praises left and right. He would write me messages and emails after wins or, or races. He would show up in the stands and watch without, without mentioning he was even there to me and then congratulate me at the end. Um, he started um, being an official in the NESCAC in, in the state of Maine as a swim official. And he'd walk up on, on deck and give me and Vanessa a bear hug and congratulate us and tell us how great we were doing and, and everything. And um, I just was so humbled by all that because I hadn't done anything yet. He had 18 years at the helm with, with an alumni group that um, wanted to name a lame after him and talked to me so much about the impact he made and were so loving um, and excited about the Bates experience and David and, and Chris Von Yako and Martha White and, and Jane Milkey and um, just like person after person would write me thanking or being excited about me coming um, because they were excited about the program. And that came from his leadership and what he had instilled in their love for Bates um, and their enthusiasm and optimism about what bait swimming could be and, and what it was and, and what it meant. Um, and I remember trying really hard to build a program um, that continued to climb in the nest cap, but never lost what Dana had created. Um, and it really was um, something I, I, I worked hard to maintain because I was so inspired by him um, and the alums that I had met um, and, and lucky enough to, to, you know, also have coach Vanessa here by my side for 10 years who swam four years um, for Dana and became the most decorated woman in Bates women's history before, you know, Sarah DeHare came around. And so I had, I had seen, you know, what he had done and, and how a, a man who, you know, came from a football field and, and a bowl game as a college player um, to the sport of swimming, which is probably the most difficult thing ever to explain and talk about because it is full of, you know, um, things that don't make sense, you know, go as hard as you want as you can, but make it feel easy. 
and you know you know you have to go out in the lead but you can't you you can't tire yourself out like there's so many uh oxymorons in our sport and, and so many different ways that we know what we're talking about as athletes that other people just don't understand you know you got to slow it down to go fast like what like these are just concepts that no one that hasn't done it would would really get and yet he was capable of doing the work that he needed to do to create training plans um season plans practices hire staff around him that helped build, bring out, you know, the best in the athletes, um, former D one swimmers came and worked alongside him. Um, local legends like Dave bright were there. Um, one of the best diving coaches in the country. And Mike Bartley was on our pool deck. Like he found ways to make this program great, educated himself at every clinic, um, and, and did that work. But more importantly, I think was that father figure to the team and they felt safe and secure. And they felt like, you know, they had a guy that that believed in them um, and loved them. And that's where it starts when you want to be great. It's not about how fast your recruits are, how many yards you do. It's about, will you do the the extra thing for your teammate? And and they know that he would do that for him. So it started to become part of the culture. Yeah, with him having a football background, David, I mean, you being a first year when he was the first year as a swimming coach, did you see him kind of, you know, grow in those four years as a coach? And, and he was kind of learning, right, as he went, I'm sure. So how did you see that growth from him? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he had, he had coached uh, at uh, local high school, swimming some. Um, but yeah, very different um, facing facing us in our, uh, at least some folks' skepticism, probably. Um, but but yeah, as, as uh, Coach just said, he, um, Coach Mall spent a lot of time you know, educating himself. Uh, he, he knew what he, what he didn't know, um, and would avail himself. I mean, he was, he, he would go, we, we knew he was going to every clinic. He would go to division one, uh, NCAAs. He was, he was the social center. He and Don Megerly at Tufts were the social center of the coaches, <laughs> New England coaches group, uh, which was very, for a variety of reasons. Um, but, um, you know, everybody, everybody, um, respected him. And, you know, this, um, I, I qualified in New England as my senior year, I qualified for NCAAs for the first time. And, uh, I mean, every, every coach from MIT to Coast Guard to Williams congratulated me as I was walking around. Uh, but they were really, I mean, I knew they were really congratulating coach, uh, for that. Um, there, you know, he was just, um, you know, I, I think really impressive in taking, what 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 Peter just said was so fundamental the the family that he creates uh, the love that he shared um, and carrying that over as just an educator and as a human being and then being able to transfer that to swimming uh, itself so um, and, and the modesty to to bring in uh, people with more swimming experience and understanding um, but his overall um, trajectory just in those first four years was was impressive and, and really noticeable. And, and I think you saw that in sort of recruiting to that continued to, to develop um, over the next, whatever it was, uh, 13 years. Well, and then you, I want to go back a little bit. You mentioned high school. You didn't know, um, you didn't know coach Moll obviously at that point, you'd no phone conversations. Were those letters then he was writing you or. Yeah, they were just letters, uh, you know, send them, send my times and, um, I wasn't sure I was wanted to swim. I, I really didn't swim much in high school. Um, and, and 
didn't like it. I also wasn't sure I was going to swim my senior year at Bates. Um, and uh, so, yeah, he would he would handwrite um, the letters back and forth. So it was great. Um, and he was, you know, very interested. But he was, as I recall, more interested in like me and public school kid from Oklahoma. Uh, like, what what is he doing? Uh, like, why why would he possibly be interested in? in Bates. Um, and so it was really all about trying to get to know me much more than my swimming times and stuff. So great. Uh, David touched on this a little bit, Peter, but it sounds like a uh, coach mole exterior, you know, originally like, you know, Maynard, you know, old school football type guy, but really a kind of a softy at heart. Is that, is that fair to say, or what would you say about that? Yeah. He's a teddy bear. And, and, yeah. and, and um, but we, he was also the guy you wanted to drink a beer with and, and, and he would, you know, like I was talking to Paul Gastingay, who, you know, went to Bates and and started coaching here and and knew Dana well. All all of Paul's kids met Santa Claus every year at our athletic department meeting in December because Dana took it upon himself to to play the part, bring in presents and and be there, um, and bring joy and happiness to everybody. And so, you know, as 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 Dave said, you know, um, there were legendary coaches in the NESCAC in New England since day one. Um, and Don Meggerly is at Tufts was, was one of the biggest names in all of division three and division one, because he would, he would coach at the division three level, but he would won the, he would run the division one national championship meet. And his right-hand man was Dana. They were cut from the same cloth. They loved to have a great time, um, and to enjoy themselves, but also to do right. You know, never, there was there ever a line blurred there. It was always just, you know, in the eighties and nineties, it was, it was them being really good human beings and, and also making sure that everyone around them enjoyed themselves and, and took, took in the moment just as much as anything, because it is so much pressure in this sport and it all comes down to one weekend. And, you know, Dana, Dana was happy um, and had fun and um, he was just, he was wonderful. And he kept doing things for our program over my 17 years here all the way until the end. And, um, I just feel so lucky that I got to know him, um, and got a bit of that enthusiasm and love and those hugs and smiles, um, because, you know, I felt for a little bit what I think most of these athletes felt for all four years and, and well beyond. Great. And then David, any other thoughts you wanted to share about Dana? We haven't got to talk about yet. Any other stories you wanted to uh, tell uh, that from your time at Bates about him that we haven't gotten a, a mention yet? I think actually I'm uh, at the moment, I think because I'm wearing this swim camp shirt, um, just how, you know, his, um, his care continued. So, you know, I'm in like 23, 24 living in Oklahoma. I don't know why, but I'm back in Oklahoma and, and he brings me out to it, to work the swim camp every year. And so having that time to, uh, to, I mean, work with him in a different capacity and, um, go down to the goose, um, at the end of every every work day um was great um and and is sort of trust and empowering me as i mean as i said like a 23 year old coach um to to take over you know 60 kids uh who are paying some money to have expertise um and that was that was really something uh, and really important i think in my in my own development and confidence um so yeah, I, I, I'm not a big reminiscer, um, I think in part because I am an educator. And so I, I don't need to relive 
you know, things. And so, uh, but the past, you know, two weeks, things have been flooding back in, in a good way, for sure. Excellent. Peter, any other thoughts you want to share we haven't gotten to mention yet? Yeah, I just want to say that um, when you reached out to me, Aaron, I immediately thought of Dave and and I'm and I think Dave's too humble to say anything, but here's one of the best high school coaches in the entire country who's led his team at Andover to, you know, if I don't know if it ever was announced, but mythical national titles, um, all American athletes, D1, you know, scholarship winners and and just has developed uh, tremendous human beings as well as athletes over his time there. Um, and I thought of David, not because of his success, but because he's, he embodies so much of what coach mole, you know, was and does. And, um, he's, he's just a good guy who is going to stop and think and, and do the right thing for his athletes over what it takes to win. Um, and I think, um, that's what has made his program so successful. And I think that's what's made all the alums that have graduated and experienced coach mole for four years. So successful in their lives is, is having that type of leader and that type of person in your life, um, that got to know you and, and helped direct you and, and gave you that, that advice, that sound advice. And, um, you know, I wanted David out here to talk about one of his, his role models and idols. And, um, and I wanted to tell him that, you know, he's still continuing the legacy down there at Andover and I appreciate it. David, would you say your coaching style heavily influenced by Coach Mole? I didn't expect to cry, <laughs> so thank you. Yeah, I mean, I try to. Um, we try to create a family um, that that does prioritize um, focusing on the things that we control and ignoring all the rest, the extent to which that's possible for kids, and to um, and and when there are ethical dilemmas, try to try to be guided by by what Coach Mole would do. So thank you. After a very busy back to Bates weekend, things calmed down a little bit this week in the world of Bates athletics, but there are still some important games starting with the field hockey team's showdown this Saturday in Medford, Massachusetts with number seven nationally ranked Tufts. Plus volleyball has their final three home matches of the year. And of course the football team looks for their 11th win and their last 12 tries against rival Bowdoin. We'll recap all that and more next time on the Bates Bobcast.